Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And, as I say every week, Sherry Edwards, because it's true every week, is at work on the soundhealthportal.com, which is an amazing location where you can go to soundhealthportal.com and to see an example of what it can do, you can scroll down to the campaigns on that same landing page at soundhealthportal.com. Scroll down. And you can see campaigns, and campaigns are systems or software packages that you can – this is all online – that you can do a trial, a free trial of, to see if you're interested in learning more about – not only learning more, but also seeing what the Sound Health Portal can do. And some of the current campaigns are Corona Conflict, Stem Cells, Parkinson's, and my old friend, Neuroplasticity. And in order to have any one of those, and there are some others there, they change, they rotate through. And you can scroll down a bit further uh, to how to get a free report. And there you'll sign up for a free membership. Record. Uh, the system will then walk you through recording two 30 to 40 second recordings directly from your computer. I really do recommend using something like the Samsung Go Mic. And I say that partially because. Uh, everybody's zooming and doing everything online these days. Having the Samsung Go mic, which is really only about a thirty to forty dollar mic, and it's just pocketable. I mean, it's only about two and a half to three inches long, and you can connect the Go mic to your computer or your laptop very easily. I actually carry one with me so that when I'm visiting somebody at a distance, I can plug in that mic into their computer and have them do a vocal print right from their own computer. So anyway, back to the 30, it'll walk you through doing two to 30, 40 second, 30 to 40 second recordings directly from the computer. You'll sub, you'll choose your campaign and submit that. And within two to maybe 10 or 12 hours is pretty typical at the most. You'll get a report back with a whole lot of information from the software. The system will run your voice through the software that you chose and give you a report based on what that software is about. For example, I really like neuroplasticity because I like seeing what's going on in my brain and how things are working and what might be out of balance, too high, too low, not enough. Often coming down to, in my case, methylation seems to be my ongoing thing. And you'll get a lot of information. I recommend sitting down with a cup of tea, reviewing it, and then If you have a practitioner who's open to seeing other kinds of information, uh, it's a really good thing to go see somebody, your practitioner, and talk about, like, let's look at this and see what we can do. Somebody like Jack Tips, who's got a broad spectrum of great information, and review it and talk to the practitioner about what you might do to help aid your assimilation or why is there so much of that but it's not being assimilated or just, it's a great resource to have it available to us online. And you can also go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on classes, and then scroll down to portal presentations, and you can review one of the recent webinars that Sherry has done online. Last week, I was the subject of the liver software, and she did a whole analysis online or workup. And it's really quite amazing to see the Sound Health Portal at work. It's really worth the time to watch one of the demos to see how the information is from a vocal print all the way through to the wonderful things that Sherry's come up with, with pie charts and charts that explain very easily visually, like, we want to look at that now. There is a bunch of other stuff going on, but there's the thing that's lit up that really wants to be addressed. It's an amazing service. And to hear a replay of this show, again with the amazing Jack Tips, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, then click on Sound Health Radio. The flyer for this show will be right at the top, and the link back to the show notes and everything that we're going to talk about will be there. And or now at the top of that page at Sound Health Radio, we have links for either Pocket Cast or Stitcher. And for example, if you click on Stitcher, that'll open up a page where it'll show you this show at the top, usually within about half an hour to an hour at the most. And you will be able to replay the show and listen to it from Stitcher. 
and or this is true of most podcast apps. For example, the same is true of the iOS app, which is called Podcast. That's the default app. And then on Android, the default app is called Google Podcast. And they all have some form of either the three dots or the three lines, which is called the hamburger. And you can click on that. And the same is true of Stitcher or Pocket Cast, where you'll be able to share the show by clicking on that and just share. And I recommend sharing it out and re-listening. With that, Wellness Wiz, Jack Tips, earned a Ph.D. in Nutrition Science from the Roger Williams School of Nutrition Science in Clayton, Missouri. He's also a naturopathic doctor, certified clinical nutritionist, classical homeopath, herbalist, and is the author of 16 books. Wellness Wiz has dedicated his career to advancing the application of natural health practices and bringing to bear the latest research in his own clinic, as well as passing on his vast knowledge to others. His teaching style has been honed to cut through the scientific chatter to the true essence of the latest natural health research. As a natural health consultant, Wellness Tips has touched the lives of thousands of people with his keen insights and foundational belief that he stands in service to the body's innate vitality from which optimal health originates. Jack joins us to discuss health maintenance in winter. Welcome, Jack. Well, howdy, everybody. Thank you so much, Richard. It is always a delight to chat with you. And, boy, you sure give me a lot to have to uh, rise to the occasion for. You know, I was thinking uh, when you were talking that, you know, like Peter and Catherine and Alexander have all already taken the great as an epithet for their names. And then you said amazing. And I thought, yeah, maybe um, we'll just do some uh, and say some amazing things together <laughs> today. So <laughs> welcome, everybody, and thank you, Richard. Well, part of what I, what I appreciate about you so much is that exactly what it says in your bio, that you can talk the whole science. I've listened to some of your lectures where you go into the part that makes people's eyes roll up in the back of their head. We're kindred spirits in that we want people to understand not just be impressed. And there are a lot of people that talk into a microphone that want to impress versus inform and educate. And that's one of your skill sets is you really want to educate. You want people to know this stuff and understand it. And I really appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, the, the true meaning of the word doctor uh, means teacher. And so when we have a medical system that hides behind big gobbledygook words and you know, 18-syllable words to create a name for a syndrome and things that are hard for people to pronounce and even think about, this this becomes a bit of a, a priestcraft that's hiding behind something, and that something is to restrict people's knowledge and understanding so that they become dependent uh, and monetarily dependent on that, where when you find the true doctors are or teachers, they can't help but try to share life-empowering tools with each individual, and that's really the measure of the effectiveness of a doctor is not only having the savvy to help someone therapeutically, whether it be a, an herb or a remedy or a, a vitamin supplement or diet or lifestyle uh, correction or even a medication at times, but that they teach the principles of optimal health and how to achieve it. So that's one of the things I dearly love about the natural health community and, and teachings is everyone seems to be allied at trying to help people um, understand and then own knowledge and have it shape their future lives. And in today's world, it's shaping the lives of our our children, our children's children, as so many things now um, will telescope um, into the future. So, yes. well, thank yeah. you for that. You, you're the same, Richard. Um, you, I hear on your podcast a lot of teaching and sharing of information so people can sit with their pen and paper and come away from each podcast with something valuable. And so... Um, 
hey, we'll call you Dr. You. Richard, and you can just call me Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to I want to start at a at a slightly well, it's 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 all part of it. You have this really great thing on your website on the about page at wellnesswiz.com, which is health is so much more than an absence of symptoms. It is a dynamic state of being, vibrant energy, clear thoughts, enlightened insights, and an accordant purpose with life itself. It is the birthright of every person, and to realize it, one must simply be in accord with life's basic health principles. How did we... How we seem to have wandered from that. We seem to think that something, I don't know what to say. You know, it seems like we seem to think that like social media is life and it's really not that. And how do we get, how do we get out of balance from that state of what that, that expresses and how do we get back in? How do we reenter, you know, increase our adaptability for survival and pay attention to our gut instincts? Yeah, well, you said the word. It's really health is adaptability has been forever that it's either adapt or or adapt or die, you know, adapt to survive. That's what human epigenetics is all about, and that's why human beings can change and try to keep pace with the alterations that are happening in the microbial world. We really must be adaptable and this is a philosophical difference between natural health and homeopathy and um, and and allopathy or or drug medicine, where if um, a person takes a suppressive drug, they're able to make the symptom, uh, the tip of the iceberg, go away, but often the disease process continues behind the scenes. Whereas if we look at adaptability, we also can understand that, yeah, maybe once in a while we might get a cold or we might have a, a little bit of a brush with the winter flu. And that's not a sign of bad health. And we're really seeing that now with COVID because it's novel. No one has run into the uh, seemingly man-made, uh, likely first made in the U.S. and then sent over to Wuhan for biological development. Um, but beyond what's not being told people, it's a man-made virus that we have never encountered before. So we are all on a, 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 a gridiron or playing field of who can adapt to this virus. And I see carte blanche across natural health. These people are adaptable. They have their vitamin D3, they have their zinc, they have their zinc ionophores, um, they take precautions to prepare, maybe homeopathically, and when the virus shows up in their lives, it's much easier, and if they are having it and they do develop symptoms, the symptoms are lighter and more treatable um, through the natural methods. And so there's people who've earned their adaptability and their right, you might say, to handle it. Then we all, as we look across the symptoms, other than some predisposing genetics, where some people are going to have a tougher time because they're more likely to have a cytokine storm, or they're more likely to be weak in the gut, or having a, an immune system that can't quite catch that virus before it migrates and, you know, causes, you know, skin infection or uh, brain infection or kidney or heart, um, that there's going to be people that are more susceptible. But generally across the board, we're seeing the, the natural health people uh, who are adaptable. They may have a scratchy throat and a runny nose and a fever, but they're the ones that are able to kind of whiz right through it and so many asymptomatically. And then people who have a lot of pre-existing conditions that are not being cured because they're on suppressive medications, uh, their diet is so far off, you know, and they're diabetic and pre-diabetic and obese and all, that we now see all the, the very 
things of susceptibility, and, and there's a hundred of them. You know, elderly, uh, there's racial, uh, you know, uh, susceptibility just because of certain genetic, uh, you know, broad swath um, situations. But in each case, when we know a susceptibility, we can take preemptive work. And so, but that that's your key there. You, you said it, Richard. It's really all about adaptability. So sometimes a person says, oh, my goodness, I'm getting uh, a little, little flu. I'm not feeling good. You know, I wish my health were better. That's not really a determination. Health is not the absence of symptoms because we see a lot of drug-suppressed people that have an absence of symptom, that, that psoriasis no longer shows up on the elbow but they're not healthy and they're not adaptable. And so it's, it's, health is really a measure of <clears throat> how well do you get over it and can you emerge from any illness you know, stronger and more vital. And that's a key thing because we see so many people now involved with COVID that they're never really getting over it. There's, it's a month later, and they're still fatigued, and then they start having, let's say, um, a skin issue or a blood vessel issue. And it's like these things just kind of keep smoldering, and, and that's because they've never generated the inner oomph to throw it off and get their antibodies and then just move right on with this thing all in the rearview mirror. So that's our, our measure of health, is, is adaptability and the ability to get sick appropriately from time to time and get over it and be better. So it's a little bit different philosophy that we deal with. And we see this philosophy. It's fun to look back. You might want to uh, give an introduction on this, if you like, but there was the um, the historic, uh, literally a Super Bowl in the newspapers between Louis Pasteur and a guy named Beecham, and they bandied about the philosophical differences of health and how to support humanity. So there we go. We, it goes back into... After the invention of the microscope, it goes back into a, a scientist and theorist arguing in the press, in the global press, their ideas of health and disease. And that's a great place to start to realize why we have the natural health disciplines versus medical disciplines. And that's a great place to start, and I, I have to step sideways for a moment, and I apologize from the outset because you said something that I, I realize you're a great person to ask this question of. You talked about suppressive medications, and as an old herbalist, and I mean old herbalist myself, I'm always stunned at the at the like banging on pans and everything when somebody gets a fever and the first thing they want to do is suppress that fever. And there's function in fever in my mind. It has a purpose. It's not a, it can be life-threatening. I'm not saying it can't be hazardous, but there is actually a function. It's an indicator. It's a thing. And the first thing people want to do is suppress it. Do you have well, thoughts on that? that on uh, TV commercials selling, you know, aspirins and ibuprofens and things. And, yeah, little baby has a fever. The first thing, oh, it's got to get the fever down. And, um, again, that's the indoctrination of suppression rather than let's have the body cure the cause of the fever and then the fever will go away. So the body's methods, sometimes we would consider them, I do anyway, to be quite rude. The body will make us feel green around the gills with nausea. It'll make us vomit. How, how rude is that? It'll give us these fevers, and we get the bone aches and feel all of our energy goes into driving that fever, and we have no energy. And um, So these types of things that gives us diarrhea, um, 
because all of this is the body's instinctive methods to purify itself. A fever, going back to Louis Pasteur, <laughs> the fever is pasteurization <laughs> in your body. It raises the temperature, and it burns out some of those pesky uh, bacteria. It also uh, activates, you might say, in the heat, it activates more energy and more uh, aggressive immune. So it also supports getting the body's heroic efforts against viruses. And so the fever is nature's way. And it's almost better if you have a fever to get in a hot tub of water, like, you know, Epsom salt bath or something and sweat like crazy. If you do it at the right time, you just drive the fever right on through. In other words, you let it finish. And then the body comes along and clones antibodies and the macrophages do the cleanup and, and, and those antibodies get built and the person walks out of that little brief fever and they're stronger than ever. If we come in and immediately suppress that fever, we're putting the body on crutches to try to fight something. Then we run and get an antibiotic that kills, the, let's say, the bacteria and, and uh, creates a lot of collateral damage in the, in the gut and starts creating superbugs. And so we have all of these complications. And you said it too, Richard, that... Yeah, you start pushing a fever of 107, and you can be frying some brain cells. So there is a risk, and sometimes the body is overly heroic in its efforts, and therefore the body can go into things like go into shock, which is dangerous, and we want to lay the person down and get their legs elevated, and they can run a too high fever, and that can cause serious damage and convulsions and brain damage, and so there's an upper limit where we need the heroic medicine. But one of the things in homeopathy, one of the, the favorite remedies is called belladonna, and we can find like, you know, like baby or child has a fever of 101.5, and you give the remedy, and 15 minutes later, the fever's gone up to 102.5, and well, 15 minutes later, it's gone. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, okay, now we're encouraging the body to do what it's made to do. And, of course, we want to drink lots of water and get the chicken soup ready and, and all of that. But, yeah, we've got this mentality that we should never feel a, a symptom. We should never be sick. And, unfortunately, those are the people that are sometimes just too sick to even get sick. They're too chronically ill to be able to afford a good acute illness that would clean up their terrain and clean up their, uh, their and, and play their system where they end up stronger afterwards with good antibodies and a you know so it's a good house cleaning a lot of times but yeah the fever is just a perfect example to dovetail into the the two philosophies and even back to Pasteur and, and, and Beecham, where we're still hearing that argument today of the terrain versus the germ, the germ theory that we live on versus the terrain theory that was promoted uh, by Beecham in, in, in the media. So it's two ways to look. Do we need to go in and artificially kill the microbe and thus, you know, save, save the person's life sometimes, no denying that. This is not a us or them. In natural health, we've always wanted to embrace uh, the, some of the beautiful technologies and things of the, of the medical um, paradigm. It was always like we all can work together better. But unfortunately today we see that the medical paradigm is trying to stamp out the natural health uh, paradigm altogether, and this is of course funded by big pharma. But there's overt attacks now on people. Uh, we've seen that uh, particularly with COVID, with the U.S. FDA. In other words, your tax dollars are at work to put little naturopaths out of business if they tell you that vitamin D3 is going to help you prepare <laughs> for COVID, and they're trying to stamp out mm. homeopathy. And you you can't help but beg. The question, uh, 
if if homeopathy didn't work, then it would naturally die out. It would be gone because there'd be no efficacy. People wouldn't get better. They wouldn't do it. And, and, and practitioners wouldn't practice it because it didn't work. But the fact that it does work, and it works so impeccably and exquisitely beautifully that all of a sudden Big Pharma is putting millions and millions of dollars into stamping it out. And, and so you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't fight something that didn't work. It would just fade away. But after 250 years, <laughs> the grassroots of homeopathic medicine, which is a little bit uh, diametrically opposite of the allopathy of drug medicine, that it's not only survived but, but flourished and flourished worldwide. I, I'm aware right now I think there's probably at least 100,000 medically trained practitioners that call themselves homeopathic practitioners today. So as a system of medicine grows where the medicine that brings a complete cure might cost two or three cents. What a different financial paradigm compared to medical drugs that might be three or four hundred dollars a pill and that's literally breaking the back of the United States Treasury trying to afford all of all of this expense and and so forth. So we, there's you know huge, huge differences in the integrity of a person's heart, the integrity of the practice. Is it all in service of what they call mammon? Is it all in service of money? Or is it in service of humanity? And that's really where the the paradigm differences have come to. Well, and there's so much – I was going to try and come up with a different word, but I can't. There's so much fear pumped in here that, you know, it, it's just stunning to me how everything that – we'll jump to, a little bit to media because there's so much – I'm going to use the phrase murder, death, kill because that's from an old Stallone movie. Uh, where it's just this, it's it's truly amazing how much fear there is out there. And since this started happening, since the COVID thing started happening, I've been interviewing practitioners, doctors, or practitioners such as yourself, who have things that work. And like you say, haven't been, like when, I'm, when I interviewed Paul Hatch, who's one of the premier experts on hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And the kind of results they have, but again, it's not the theme that I unintentionally had with all of those people that I've talked to is that very, none of them are prescribed by somebody, meaning there isn't, there isn't a prescription. There isn't a system for prescribing them to, and then somebody in the pharmaceutical industry getting a Vic off of that, some kind of money for what they're doing. They're practitioners such as yourself that are passionate about what they do, have skills. Like you say, home, as you say, homeopathy has been around for several hundred years, or acupuncture has been around for, let's say, a thousand years. A lot of practices that work, <laughs> and, and there seems to be a, a crowd that like hates that. Like you say, they're going to either – I mean, I remember in the 80s, 90s, when I interviewed Jonathan Wright, who'd had his, who's an MD up in Tacoma, Washington, who had had his office busted into by people in flak jackets with guns drawn to take all his equipment and his records because he was giving people B12 shots. And he was a doctor. There's this amazing thing of people such as yourself that have homeopathy, which we'll talk about more but that can do something that's working today. Thousands of people are doing it and having results, but you don't put out a fear campaign. Well, that was Maybe. it with, with Dr. Jonathan Wright, who I'm acquainted with and have the greatest um, respect for. Mm -hmm. And But any marketing person will tell you that fear is the prime motivator. Second would be sex, but fear is the the big bugbear that if you can get a person if you can hit them on fear fear of loss that you have them you have them as far as selling your product so 
We've looked in the media now for nine months. It's been nothing but blown up fear and, you know, oh, Granny wouldn't have died if only she could have had a test or if Granny only could, you know, that kind of thing. And and um, the heartbreak and the, the fear factor is, is still being played. But as you look at people in natural health, they're many are just going about their normal lives and, and they're not fearful. You know, like, am I fearful of what the virus might do to me? Well, no, I'm prepared. And I have uh, alternative uh, treatments. Now, you know, some would say, yeah, but that alternative treatment doesn't work. And where's the science? Well, I'm tapped into some of the global uh, research of medical doctors from all over the world, and there's there's clear case analysis and publications, and, and the homeopaths all over the world have contributed to the determination of something called the genus epidemicus. And in other words, that's just a fancy way of saying here's the the remedy that's going to work for people, uh, you know, at least 80, 90 percent of the time. And here's your your second alternative genus epidemicus, which is probably going to work for the rest of everybody because these these pandemics and epidemics have. Um, uh, traits that, that that in general the human response is very similar the fever the sneezing the the post nasal drainage the migration to the lungs um, and so there's modalities that uh, point to the uh, corrective remedy a remedy that elicits and clarifies to the body what it must do to adapt and survive so, yeah, it's been um, unbelievably rampant, the fear-mongering that's gone on in the media at the same time as suppression. But I wanted to say that while someone may be screaming, you know, show us your studies, well, they're not going to be studies by Big Pharma, <laughs> who doesn't stand yeah. to make a dime. Um, but as we go into the worldwide literature, particularly out of India, where uh, homeopathy is um, uh, well-respected, out of England, where it's well-respected and has roots, even with Queen Elizabeth having a team of homeopaths uh, for her health, and um, and we go to these other areas, these doctors publish their cases. And so I spend a lot of time reading, um, you know, the person, um, uh, an Iranian medical doctor, uh, published uh, getting a patient at death's door uh, after massive cytokine storm. And then he publishes why he gives what remedy and what it did, and then why he gives the next remedy to help complete the case. And so there's in-depth studies out of, the repertories and the materia medicas, and they're they're peer reviewed, and so there's there's plenty of this. But what most people don't know is the Spanish flu, which was actually another, mm -hmm. I believe, United States flu that we blamed on another country. But in the 1917 would be a a, a good time frame, 1918, 1917, and so forth. This was the reason that World War One ended. This flu was so bad that the troops couldn't fight anymore. And it's a primary reason to the end of World War I. Everybody was sick with the flu and dying. And at that time, the allopathic or Western medicine was helping people, but they had over a 30% death rate. And that's why so much of the system, uh, the, the statistics skyrocketed where they're saying, oh, there was 10 million people died worldwide, or 50 million people is more likely died worldwide, because this was a strain of flu, in a sense, very similar to COVID, that no one had immunity to. It was newfangled, or it had, it had mutated. And there was even theories back then as the radio and emanations, electromagnetic frequencies were increasing all over the world, and then this virus mutated, and we got the influenza epidemic. But, you know, I don't know that that's too provable other than looking. But back in those days, 
the remedy Gelsimian was chosen by global homeopaths as being the genus Epidemicus. And they employed that rapidly. And, and their uh, mortality rate was a mere 1%. So we have 1% of people dying under homeopathic care, and we have 30% dying under drug allopathic care. Now, that gets swept under the carpet. You go, well, okay, I don't know if I believe that or not, but we can go back to 1854, the London cholera epidemic, and we have similar statistics where the allopathic drug care had a mortality rate of 60%. It was actually 59.2, I mean, if we really want to get that detailed. But the homeopathic care in a rampant cholera epidemic was 9%. And so, and, you know, with cholera, people just, you know, they, they, they poop their brains out. They, they dehydrate, and they get this terrible vibrio toxin, in fact, two toxins, into their blood, and it's just uh, a, a death uh, certificate. So, um, and gosh, we have records from uh, Napoleon's army. We can go to 1813 and typhoid epidemics, and we see, um, uh, particularly in India, the typhoid epidemics, they had uh, very high rates of success, low mortality compared. And one of my favorite was when homeopaths were esteemed. We literally had a situation in India where one side of the river was under the power of the allopathic drugs, and the other side of the river, let's uh, <laughs> bring in the cholera, it was on uh, the homeopaths. And we had that other, we had that glaring uh, statistical difference of, of population so much that the side of the river that was homeopathically treated flourished and soon uh, became the dominant e economy uh, force there uh, of the, the area. So uh, after after the the cholera epidemic, so there is a history, but the history has been suppressed in the war uh, of, of of aiming for dominance. Homeopathy never took on the mission of we have to be the dominant monetary grabbing force of of health, but allopathy did because of the tremendous markup of the drugs and, and the desire for power. And so it's been just a massive disservice, a disservice to humanity to be hiding the truth. And now, Richard, we're back to your social media <laughs> um, yeah. concept. And I believe most people now know that, that Google and Facebook and uh, Microsoft and Amazon have all suppressed intelligent scientific material that uh, to uh, disallow it coming into the public consciousness and and this is a terrible terrible thing to deny people knowledge and education and we've seen that and oftentimes is a tactic right we've had uh, issues uh, let's say in Africa where it was against the law to educate indigenous people and we've seen that uh, to a large extent in the deep south of the United States and we're seeing it now again for natural health uh, throughout the uh, corporations that are being funded by big pharma such as Google and even Amazon is on board there was a beautiful book written just a couple of months ago published uh, by uh, it's called the contagion myth and it was published by the esteemed uh, Thomas Cowan, M.D., and Sally Fallon Morell of the Weston mm -hmm. A. Price Foundation. And they go back into all this, the germ theory and, and uh, really what is the timeline regarding EMFs and, and alt uh, altering microbes and the pesticides that, and fungicides and herbicides that alter the soil microbiome. And so when they bring up uh, both very intelligent, massively documented, what did Amazon do with their book? It banned it. 
Well, I haven't heard of book burnings and bannings. Well, I guess since people in the Deep South burnt the Beatle records. But if we go back <laughs> before that, it's it's Adolf Hitler. And so, um, to me, it's just such an affront. And I don't know if everybody shares my opinion, but I believe that a, a free Internet and then that people's access to all information is important, and then someone's going to yell at me, yeah, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, and yada, yada. And we understand that, and we want to take responsibility for misuse. But it's our scientific dialogue that we're seeing now, scientific reports that don't agree with selling drugs are just disappearing. I subscribe to uh, an East Indian news feed um, called Academia, and they log and, and print all the studies that link uh, heavy metals with things such as autism and diseases and, um, and so forth. And so all of a sudden we find that many universities and medical colleges and, and so forth, there's massive amounts of research. And I, you, just, you're not, you're, you'll know, you will not find it on Google. So now we have a world police force, self-appointed, that is, is breaking the United States Constitution, which, which is really, you might say, freedom of information and freedom of speech. So that's where we've gotten to at this time. It's, it's a very interesting experiment right now for humanity to see if humanity will insist, even if we don't agree with someone we need to respect that person, and we need to respect that they have a different line of thinking. And so right now, with a, uh, a change in the United States administration, we're seeing how many people really um, are being driven by social media, which right now the flaw of social media and artificial intelligence that drives social media is that it rewards like thinking. They know if you have an opinion, which they can algorithm determine by what you look at, what websites you go to, what you purchase, and they analyze you, and then they keep feeding you the same thing. So um, people are being fed and reinforced the same thing over and over and over, um, and all their communities because they know then that once a person becomes a zealot toward their beliefs that they now can create fear and sell you a product. And well, so also the trick I, the, I want to social media is it's like-minded people talking to like-minded people without any input of fresh ideas. Right. And and the tricky part I'll I'll pick on or I'll point at Facebook the tricky part is what happens is that when people keep liking something that then their feed it becomes what they what they see they don't get other information or possibly something that says maybe that's not right maybe we should look at this that's all gone because you've designed your own feed confirming what you think yeah, you'd have Versus to say the like the button is probably yeah. one of the, the biggest, I can't say greatest, interventions of social media. That that's the, the app or the process that feeds the artificial intelligence to feed you more of what you already know. So social media is dumbing people down and reinforcing errant beliefs, and they don't care what your beliefs are, you know, whether you're, let's say, Republican or Democrat, they'll feed you like-minded information. So social media can make you hate the current administration or it can make you love it, but they've, they've decided what to send you. And we saw, in fact, in the last uh, two presidential elections, the one in 2016 where there was the controversy from um, uh, England, the, the Cambridge people, that they simply went into the what they call the battlefield states and they planted fear into the population on behalf of the Republican agenda against the Democrat agenda. 
And when they got those like-minded people who maybe weren't really motivated to vote, they threw the fear in there. They turned out and voted, and that's where we woke up that morning with the surprise, almost like Dewey and Truman, um, that, oh, the Republicans won the election, and they, how did they win You know, by such a small margin in those so-called battlefield states? And it was driven back to um, an English uh, company that had run the artificial intelligence through Facebook. And that's why Zuckerberg got thrown into having to meet a congressional um, subcommittee. Um, you know, it's almost like it was their election tampering uh, going on, and I don't know about that. I, all I know is that um, those algorithms are darn smart, and and once they have you, they can sow fear. And we're we're now back to yep. We as a human being really need to look at our our fears and and see how do we overcome them and not let them rule our lives. Because a, a person living in fear is. Uh, has an inferior immune system. You know, fear uh, definitely uh, plays on people, as does loneliness now that we see so much in the, the quarantining and and so forth. So we're, we're, we're creating diseases at the same time we're implementing the fear tactics. Well, I think that the uh, two thoughts, one are that fear is immunosuppressive, and I know really smart people who are in a state of fear now from COVIDness, and they really, I try, and there's there are people that I've known for a long time, and they know me. And my first thing to them is when they get worried is I'm at the very easiest thing I steer people toward is saying, well, how much vitamin C are you taking? Let's start there. That's something really simple. Everybody has a friendly relationship in their mind to like vitamin C is good. And plenty of science backing yeah, up your statement, Yeah, plenty of science <laughs> behind it saying vitamin C is good. We all agree on that. Vitamin D3, 90% of the smart people I know agree that vitamin D3 is good as well. But that's vitamin C everybody loves. And I, they ask me how much I'm taking. And I say, well, you know, since this has been happening, I take four to six grams a day. And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's, but they get into this fear spiral, which is then immunosuppressive. And then they're alone grinding away at that. They're in their own I mind. It's ironic that science gives us uh, – they want to give us something. It's like if we do anything, it might help us with the fear. And so they give us uh, a mask that's more porous than any virus that can only accumulate a moist, maybe even mucous environment in its fiber so you can rebreathe that virus over and over. And they give us, oh, everybody's got to do the mask thing, which, um, yeah, there's probably um, valid statistics that instead of sneezing in the grocery store aisle and spewing the virus on a 12-feet radius all around you, or whichever way the air conditioning current is blowing, that you can drop that down considerably by catching the globules in a mask. So, yeah, um, uh, it's not an all-or-nothing thing, but when we look at the, the deeper science and the size of a virus versus the size of a pore in the mask, it's, it's ludicrous. And then lowering your blood oxygen from wearing a mask and all of that. And see, people wanted to argue and say, well, masks are not the way to go. Now, the president-elect of the United States is going to say we need to wear a mask for 100 days. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear a mask <laughs> if I go out in public because um, I, want it, I want to be uh, – uh, Compliant with the the national agenda, and it's it, you know I'm going to make sure it doesn't hurt me. Right. So I will make sure I'm oxygenating my blood. I'm going to make sure I'm staying away from people, and you know sometimes these things are small. But when you say Richard, well, what if you built your vitamin C up? Well, yeah, that's a frontline defense, and it's only going to help. And the vitamin D and the zinc and and the B vitamins are also very, very important, and there's all these things people could have been doing nutritionally. And, and, and some of these natural health practitioners that have had to go out of business would be flourishing, um, helping people get the right form of vitamin C or putting their, 
little package programs together and everybody teaming up with optimism that we can kick this thing instead of hunkering and cowering in fear, um, not realizing that it's really all about our individual personal terrain, our gut microbiome, our immune system's ability to grab the nutrients it needs and and that uh, the people that do that are showing um, exemplary statistics, and it's just hard to get those statistics. We have you know I have to talk to fellow clinicians and you know how are your patients doing, and uh, across the board exemplary, and yet you go next door and knock on the door and they they think you know you're some kind of nut and they're cowering in fear, um, waiting for an answer that's not really an answer. And that, that, well, that's the, the vaccine that's been told that it, it doesn't work all that good and it hurts people and um, there's side effects and you have to take it more than once and we don't know how long and it's only made to mitigate or reduce symptoms. It's not really nailing it. And, um, and so people are grasping at straws out of fear and to me, the the heartbreak, I just wake up often, other than being a chipper person, with such a heavy heart for uh, humanity overall, because the science, I said once, maybe it was on one of your shows, I have 183 scientific studies that say that taking vit- optimizing vitamin D3 is your, one of your number one steps to take uh, to not have cytokine complications of this coronavirus and where's the media where's the media <laughs> you know they're, they're being I'm not, I'm not laughing at you the guy I'm not the laughing at you yeah I'm not laughing at you <clears throat> yeah, I'm just laughing is, at the idea the media has a job uh, to represent yeah. truth and, and they're, they're, they're abject failures right now because they're just being spoon-fed the, the big pharma agenda, which is money, money, money for them. Big pharma's buying everything because they have all the money. And I've heard there's over 300 new billionaires who invested in pharmacological stock. And a lot of the CEOs um, have sold their stock and cashed in. You know, there's new billionaires. This oligarchy situation is, is rolling out all around us. While the middle-class people collapse out of uh, societal laws that they can't run their businesses, and the the fat cats are getting fatter and using that money in advertising and suppression of natural health. So it's just like you know you can just almost want to wake up every day and and and, and cry over this, but. Um, one thing that will never happen is, I, I believe, and philosophically, is truth will always prevail, whether it takes a thousand years or not. But the, the truth that we speak, you know, it will, it will prevail. And it's just a matter of, well, you know, we could do it right now. We don't have to wait a thousand years and go down so many dead ends and wrong roads. So... Anyway, that's that's the thing, and I just I must express some appreciation for you and the content that you provide people, and uh, hope that people rummage around on your archives and just keep reinforcing uh, the natural health message as a little bit of an antidote to what we're being fed uh, through social media, news media uh, today. Uh, because evidently it seems our leaders are not looking uh, deep enough. They just don't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. It's all believing in the spun-up science and altered interpretation of science that's being promulgated to support drug sales. And so it's, it's to me, a crime against humanity. But it's not well, the first time there's always been that, and we just right. try to you know, take our lumps and move it forward. <laughs> and I and I I go back to one of my old saws, which is follow the money, because one of the things that we have, I don't know how many lobbyists there are per congressional representative now, but it's a lot. 
and you have one of the wealthiest lobbyist groups is the pharmaceutical industry who are, you know, paying Congress people to think the way they want them to think because, oh, look, here's a suitcase full of money. What we do you all think? grew up with the greatest respect for the dedicated medical doctors that are really the yeah. first responders and people that are laying their lives and convenience on the line to serve people that had it in their hearts to want to help people and had the brains to become a doctor. And um, so it's really almost a stale respect for science. Uh, when our only science is coming from the pharmaceutical industry, which often we find um, that the conclusion of the science, of the study, was already predetermined, and data that would have supported anything else was thrown out. What I'm saying is uh, many skewed and biased studies, and then they'll take those studies and have the money to disseminate them while at the same time uh, disseminating a half-cracked study that might make fun of something in natural health. And we have a very large uh, propaganda campaign that's being rolled out globally on people. And most people, don't you think they really just want peace, that they want the ability to love and raise their families? They want the ability to be upwardly mobile without prejudice. And there's just some fundamental human needs. And, and these things are being uh, perverted through the, the fear tactic. So here we are wondering about things such as how do we not have fear about this virus and how do we uh, understand what... Um, one of the least expensive things a person can do, the homeopathic remedies, how something like homeopathy, which has tenaciously served people for 250 years, almost 300 years, um, and, and has lived through massive oppression uh, over those years, you know, how that could go to bat for people because that may be other than having personal nutritional integrity and having some herbal formulas that are also scientifically backed. There's some from Chinese medicine. There's some from Western medicine that just are exemplary. And, and then to have the advantage of a, a homeopathic remedy um, is really, um, in many, many cases, in most cases, all a person needs. I mean, if a person does, um, just literally nothing works. And there are people like that. There's people who are extremely, uh, their genetics and epigenetics are all loaded up against them. Then we have the wonders of acute care medicine, as long as they don't cram respirators down people's throats and kill them mm -hmm. by pushing the, the virus <laughs> through the lungs into the blood. Uh, but um, they've, they've, medicine's worked out when, if and when, uh, to use respirators. But I don't know if you remember back, everybody was alarmed. There weren't enough respirators. And, oh, yeah. And then people started dying so quickly on respirators that they had to take a step back and use that technology a little more um, judiciously. Yeah. But um, anyway, this is a, a call here to... Look at the natural health um, research. Look at the natural health science, if you can find it. Uh, <laughs> you know, people like you me and me get access to it, and we let people know about it. And then dispel that fear yeah. Yeah. that we could get this virus. Because I think um, I said back in March, maybe on one of your shows, Richard, that we're all due to get it. Let's just accept it. We're all due to get it. It's novel. Either there's going to be some kind of herd immunity, which is not a fact but a theory, and this herd immunity might kind of push it on the back burner and we can all breathe a sigh of relief, like, you know, coming into the spring after the flu season. Go, oh, well, hopefully I'm, I escaped this year, you know. And um, 
we can breathe these sighs of relief knowing that we're as prepared as we can be. And then if we really look at the criterion of who's susceptible, uh, like obese people, then we might want to cast an eye on why does Pepsi-Cola have more trucks on the road than um, FedEx? And, um, (laughs) you know, when we were delivering products uh, to people that whether they're sugar-free or not are very detrimental to human beings' health. And we might start looking at what do we do to maintain and compensate for our own immune integrity, which is really what saves our lives. It's never about a mass program. It's always about personal integrity, personal terrain, personal integrity. That's your immune system. That's why some people catch the the COVID and go, oh, I, I barely had an itch in my nose. I'm just fine. And other people are just laid low. And, of course, the elderly, you know, and we have, they're, 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 they're dying. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can't help but cry and mourn over that. And then we just need to be, we should be looking at why. Oh, because granny in the rest home isn't being fed uh, a, a truly healthy diet. And granny in the rest home is not being optimizing her vitamin D3. And she's not getting her vitamin C, and she's not getting her zinc and B vitamins to full extent. And, and she's on suppressive medications that are altering how the immune system can function. And a then you realize, oh, well, yeah, that, talk about a, a sitting duck. For the virus, we have, you know, the, the obese, the diabetics, the, the people that have altered immune responses, those with autoimmune diseases, and, and those people need extra care. But we've got the rank-and-file people that could be out in the sunshine and the fresh air. Um, we have their lives being ruined. Yeah. And, so, and, how, and we're, I'm, I'm surprised that we're here so soon. This is the, I, I want to ask, how, how can people work with you? As a, do you do online sessions as a homeopath? I mean, as your full practice? But particularly do, if people yes. want to find out I, more about I'm, homeopathy. I'm a one-on-one person. Um, I don't have a lot of prepackaged high-dollar programs that people have to subscribe to, and all of the all of that. The to me, the true process is is one-on-one, um, and then I'm basically trying to understand the whole person. They say in homeopathy in particular, uh, homeopathy treats the person, not the disease. Because, again, if the person can be healthy and have the balanced immune response, let's say between the acquired and the innate immune systems, and they er errantly and loosely call that Th1, Th2, and then we throw Th7, if that means anything to people. Uh, But I'm just saying the two immune systems, um, that they're working and then being balanced, and they've done work to completely get rid of things that are concerns, whether it's food allergies or food sensitivities and GI tract symptoms and all of this. So as a person is more optimizing their health, they're more uh, adaptable. And then we get this unwanted um, virus, and we need to overcome it and um, it's kind of interesting if you look at the mortality rate of last year and the mortality rate of this year they're not that far apart so we weren't screaming about some virus last year Um, there's so many statistics that can be skewed that nobody knows what to think but we know there's that this virus exists Uh, we know that we don't have individual immunity to it and now we're being told that the vaccine doesn't really give us immunity to it. It's only attempt to make it better, and you're going to have to keep taking it. And at the same time, the United States government has lowered and made harder, has lowered the money and higher and higher criterion for anyone to file a claim for vaccine injury while we give the pharmacology system um, a free pass that they cannot be sued 
if they kill you with a vaccine or they damage your brain and or whatever. They have no liability. So when we want to say we're a society that only worships money, what a great business model that you can have no liability. You have a product that is in high demand, in fact, frantic, fast-track demand. Oh, what a, what a, what a windfall. And, um, and so why would, the, why would the U.S. government make it harder for people to claim vaccine injuries and, and get compensation from the government? Why would they do that if they weren't expecting a, an onslaught of complications? So, you know, uh, sometimes we the people might just get a little tired of government not serving we the people and only serving the, the vested interest of oligarchs. Um, for those that that's too big of a word, I'm sorry, I didn't know what it was, you know, 15 years ago. It just means a big, big money corporation, wealthy, wealthy people, and so that, that influence government. So, you know, we're, we're losing our, our American dream in this process uh, like never before. So anyway, I think I drifted off there a little bit, Richard. And <laughs> No, were... I can't. No, no, I'm letting you drift off because I'm – in concordance with you. We do have to stop. I'm sorry, but there's a, there's so many other shows just in that last part we talked about. Where can people find out more about your work and how to connect with you so they can talk with you about the genus epidemicus for COVID and homeopathy in general? Well, I think it'd be a good idea to, uh, I do, I do have maintain email directly with the public. I don't hide behind uh, barriers of staff, and so we can give my uh, email jack at wellnesswiz, W-I-Z dot com, that will come to me, and um, as long as I can, you're going to get a reply straight from me. There's a little bit more on wellnesswiz.com and doing that, and thank you so much for for that. As I said, I'm here to I'm here to help and, and do it, you know, morally and ethically and legally help people. And uh, we have some awfully good tools in natural health. So thank you so much, Richard. Thank you, Jack. That was great. There will be more. This is why you are a reoccurring guest, because there are so many sections we can talk about. But we'll stop now. Everybody have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.